I'd like to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where we're here for you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. Clark.com slash ask is where you go to ask me a question on the show. You also can ask a question off the air. If you go to Clark.com, move down the main screen, you'll see how to get free off-the-air advice from a member of Team Clark. We do that 45 hours each week. Coming up in a half hour, we're going to talk about something that I have not talked about in a long time, and that's the right way to buy a tablet, whether it's an iPad or an Android tablet, whatever. It's something that I used to get a lot of questions about. Tablets have become less important because of the phablets, but there are still great uses for tablets, a lot of times for kids that are at an age that you don't want them to have a phone yet is one of the main uses of a tablet, and some people use them as a passive device to be able to read. I'm going to talk about that and video consumption. I'm going to talk about that in just 30 minutes. I'm going to talk now about your wallet, something directly impacting it, And it is a curse of the modern era. It is when you are being auto-billed or you're actually auto-paying where money is disappearing from your checking account every month, money being posted as a charge to your credit card every month, and quite often you don't even know you enrolled in the auto-pay. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. And this is really crazy, but people that are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s in huge numbers are in auto payments that they don't ever remember signing up for, have no recollection how they ended up with this automatic bill every single month. As you get to people 50 and beyond, It's a much less frequent thing, but overall, more than one in three of us, according to a study done by creditcards.com, are in some form of auto pay, often for something that not only is it's not something you're using, you might not even know what it is. And often that's a technique with people that are more towards the sleazy side, that the information they provide that comes through when you look at your checking account statement or you look at a credit card statement is so fuzzy that you don't even know what it's about. And I want to reach back and share something with you that was one of the great stunners of all time. There was a criminal ring that was busted that was putting through phony charges on millions of people's credit card statements. The phony charges were $8 a month. And they got away with it for a number of years till they got stopped. In the meantime, they stole huge numbers of millions of dollars, I think past $100 million. And the punchline was it went undetected for so long because less than 10% of people ever noticed, ever noticed, that they were getting hit with an automatic debit or charge for something that was a phantom. There was no actual service being offered. The funniest 
thing in a weird sort of way about it is that a bank sold access to all its customers' credit card numbers and debit card numbers to these crooks, no questions asked. No questions asked. It's pretty appalling, isn't it? But you and I have a responsibility and a duty to actually look through our checking account statement each month and our credit card statements each month, and almost nobody does that. So what if you do that in an automated way? There's something called Truebill. The web address is truebill.com, and Truebill goes through all the things going on with you, and it looks for subscriptions you signed up for, looks for ways to lower bills for you, looks for ways you can save on your checking account. And I've never understood why they do it for free, but they do. And one of the big areas they look at is the scourge of so many people, and that's where you sign up for a free trial. And then later, you end up with a problem, and Truebill claims, you know, problem being a monthly bill, that they save the average person over $400 each year just from looking through their stuff. And so consider that there are two others for different purposes that also help you look for ways you're spending money and ways to save them. One of them is TRIM, which the web address is asktrim, A-S-K-T-R-I-M.com. And then there's one that you pay that actually calls up and negotiates for you your legit existing bills and looks for cheaper ways for you to get the same service, even from who you're already with. And if they save you money, they share the savings with you the first year they save you money. They split it 50-50 with you. It's called Bill Cutters. And Cutters is misspelled, because I guess somebody already had the actual right way to spell it. It's C-U-T-T-E-R-Z, Bill Cutters with a Z instead of an S, dot com. Cress is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Cress. How you doing? Great, thank you, Cress. How can I serve you? Well, I got a quick question for you um, um, in regards to 529 college plan. Yes. The answer is okay. yes. Whatever it is with 529s. <laughs> oh, just kidding. I love okay. 529 plans, so I always start from that standpoint. Good. Well, I was talking with someone the other day, and I've got two kids that I have set up um, with the 529 plan, and they were telling me that they just have a non-taxable savings account set up for their child, for their college savings. And I wanted to see if you might be able to explain the advantages or disadvantages to doing it that way. What in the world is a non-taxable savings account? I wasn't real sure. That's why I'm calling you. (laughs) Um, I don't know of any such thing. I know there have been pitches in the life insurance business about using life insurance as a supposedly tax advantage or tax-free way to to save for college. But the term uh, tax-free savings account, I'm clueless what they're meaning. But the 529 plan is not a savings account. It's an investment. How old are your two kids? Seven and five. So at seven and five, you don't want them in any kind of savings account saving for college. You want their money invested because they're enough years away 
that the money should be invested because savings accounts don't even keep up with inflation. Correct. And so with a seven-year-old 11 to 12 years away from being a freshman, a five-year-old um, 13 to 14 years away from being a freshman, you got enough time to let that money really uh, work and potentially grow for them. And what I love at that age, actually I like it at any age, is what's known as an age-based portfolio in a 529 plan where the administrator makes the investment steadily more conservative as your two kids would get closer and closer to college entry. Right, and that's what I'm doing. So you are doing that already. Now, you live in the state of Illinois, is that right? Yes. Yes. Right, so there's something particular I want you to know in Illinois, and this is true in a a handful of states. Illinois has um, good options for 529 and then has some not-so-good options for 529. And I'm keeping it, I'm saying it nicely. In, in Illinois, the only good plan to go in is the direct sold bright start plan. Okay, good. That's what I have. And in that plan, the only low cost option is what's the index age based plan, not the general age based, only the indexed age based plan. Okay. So if, if that's, more than you can absorb while you're driving around. I've got this on my 529 plan guide at Clark.com, and I've got it by state. So I've got in each state, I've got what are the best options for you to save for a kid's college. And whatever your friends are doing, just ignore whatever they're saying is a tax-free savings account and go with what you're already doing in the 529 plan. Derek is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Derek. Hello, Clark. How's it going for you? Doing very well. Thanks for taking my call. Long-time listener, podcast listener as well. Well, great I having you. your show. Thank you. Uh, I, I was listening to, on the podcast the other day, and uh, you guys were talking about the DNA testing. Oops, um, you just went all fuzzy on me. Uh, DNA testing? Yes, yes. That I did it on myself, yeah. Yeah, and I was wondering how that... Uh, how that could possibly affect our insurance rate, uh, maybe in the future, would we possibly be denied for having a pre, uh, pre-existing, uh, uh, something that genetically says, like I am, that I have an enhanced risk of having Alzheimer's later? Is right, yeah, Can they take that, that information and say, well, we're not going to sell you um, <laughs> exactly. long-term care insurance because... You got this enhanced risk that you're going to have Alzheimer's. And so, yeah, and that's a legitimate concern. Current federal law does not allow insurers to use genetics or DNA testing to set rates or deny coverage. And so it actually creates an ethical dilemma where I have an unfair knowledge advantage over the insurance company but as the law stands and i would be very surprised if insurers were ever allowed to pierce that privacy to the point where they could set rates based on my genetic tests or yours okay well does that fall under the hipaa no it's a separate i'm trying to remember the statute that concerns that but it is 
I thought it was a it was a completely separate piece of legislation just dealing with genetic testing. And because when HIPAA came into effect, the idea of doing genetic testing was not really on radar screens yet. But Joel's looking for the specific law and has not found it yet. So uh, just know that right now, whatever the whatever the statute's called, they're not allowed to use that testing. Okay. All right. Thank you for your time. I appreciate that. Oh, you found it, Joel. This was an article written by Slate, and I thought, uh, and they talk about the terms and conditions of some of those sites. You mean uh, using doing the testing? Right. Okay. So the testing information, depending on the site you use, their terms and conditions may govern what your privacy is with what they find out about you. That's a different issue. But in terms of an insurer using it, they can't use it. Here's the hard part for a lot of people. The information I found out about myself, most people wouldn't want to know. And so you got to be comfortable, Derek, with what you'll find out about yourself and what could be your medical future. Yeah, I think in my case, I'm going to lean towards ignorance being bliss, and I'm just going to go with it. Well, I love that you said that. (laughs) I bought a DNA kit for myself and my wife, and I did my test. She's never done hers. And so it's such a personal choice. I, I'm gathering that she would just not rather know. And if that's the way she feels, that's A-OK with me. Just moments ago, we were talking about what is it that keeps an insurer from knowing the results or an employer if you decide to do DNA testing with one of these independent DNA companies that advertise so much like 23andMe and Ancestry.com and stuff. Well, the law is the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act of 2008, and that's what prevents insurers and employers from using our DNA against us. Paul is with us. Paul, you have an employer who's both for you and against you at the same time with how they're handling uh, some form of retirement plan at your work. How's the for and against work? Well, um, I started off with this company when it was very small, and we've grown to the point that we are able to offer, or I was able to be offered a uh, 401k plan that matches 3%, up to 3%. So dollar for dollar. Yeah, and I was thrilled with that. That's great. Until I met with the broker who's going to manage the account, and his fee is 1.5%. And from what I've heard on, it seems like that was high. 1.5% 1.5% is in the stratosphere. I thought so. So what I would do in a case with your employer, you want to benefit from their extreme generosity of matching dollar for dollar. So each year I would put in 3% of your pay into this 401k, pick up the 3% they're matching, your money's instantly doubled. The fact that you're getting eaten alive on expenses doesn't matter as much because they're throwing all that money your way and hopefully over time the employer will learn more about how to offer these plans and not be with a ripoff provider and what i would do past the three percent is i would save on your own in your own roth ira 
okay, that's uh, what I needed to uh, to, to know. So I uh, appreciate your help. So it is worth the uh, 1.5%. Definitely in your case because you're picking up the free money. And this is something that if you are a smaller employer, you, you may not be aware that now there are a lot of options available for you to offer 401ks to your employees that don't have the monstrously high expenses. It used to be you didn't have a choice as a small employer. You had to be in a plan that was typically offered by a full commission brokerage house or an insurance company that had these massive expenses. But that was then, this is now, and look around. I have some options for you at Clark.com. Get a cheaper plan. You benefit, as do your employees. Thanks for being here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where you learn ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. ClarkDeals.com is our bargain site for you. Clark.com, our main site. On Clark Deals, we vary the deals available for you, hit you with the hottest ones each day. And I think about how things ebb and flow. We used to get just endless calls about buying a tablet and an iPad or an Android tablet and not so much anymore because as the screen size of cell phones got so large into the what's known as the phablet territory, I use a phablet, one with a six-inch screen, people have not had as much interest in tablets. But there are situations where a tablet is absolutely great to have if you want to read a book or magazine, you want to watch video on the go, they still have very nice uses. Some people use them to go to various apps. And what's happened is is the love affair really ended with tablets, and it became a like affair. A lot of manufacturers found themselves incredibly overstocked. You know, there were rumors at one time that Apple had more than 10 million iPads sitting in warehouses unbought. And Apple has had to modify its approach and offer uh, better quality tablets at lower and lower price points. And that's so true right now. I'm looking at Sam's Club and their most popular tablet iPad is $318. And you think about how much Apple used to run up the prices on the iPads. That's for the full-size iPad. And the Samsung tablets work at all different price points, typically from $89 on up to a few hundred, but the most popular of the Samsung tablets are $89 to maybe $139, $149, and they are real quality tablets. But the deal in the marketplace, if you can deal with the restrictions that Amazon places on its tablets as to what they can download, the Amazon Fire line is the best deal in tablets. And they don't necessarily get the highest ratings. They get decent ratings, like when Consumer Reports reviews tablets. I'm looking at their most recent ratings, and I'm looking for... The first Amazon to show up, it gets a score of 64, where the highest rated tablets get upper 70s. So not a screaming great score, 
but very functional, particularly for watching video and uh, maybe checking your email and listening to music, whatever. And the Amazon price points are very aggressive. Uh, they run specials all the time, particularly on the Fire 7. $39 is a common price as a special. The HD, which is the 8-inch screen, which is a, a nice-looking screen, is often $59, and you just got to watch each day for those price points. And the kids' tablets that have the big bumpers on them, they actually get a better rating from Consumer Reports than the ones geared towards adults. The second highest rated tablet for a kid, because a lot of times parents will give one to a kid when they are too young, they don't want them to have a, a cell phone. And Amazon's Fire Kids Edition, which is twice the money of the one for adults, but it gets a very good rating and it's very protective with that outer thingy on it, is typically $79. The fancy kids one, $99. So the industry is moving in different directions. And what I haven't even talked about are the ones that are enterprise-oriented tablets, where uh, industry is using tablets to have workers in the field, or you think about if you ever rent a car, how they're using the tablets now to rent you the car, to check you back in when you return the car. So there are industrial or, or commercial uses, and those are a whole different area of the industry. I'm only talking about for you as a consumer that the sweet spot of the tablet market is generally 50 to $150 with quality of tablets that are so good that spending the big money for one doesn't really seem to make any sense to me at all. Lisa's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Lisa. Hi, Clark. How you doing? I'm doing well. Lisa, you have a a father-in-law that's got you a little concerned. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we, my husband found out years ago that he had been burying cash in the backyard. Okay, you hear, those, you hear that that happens, but it's like you never know anybody who's done it. Exactly. Well, so, because he, he gave my husband a map so he could find it. Well, after a long, long time, we finally convinced him that he could put it in a safe deposit box in a bank that would be much better right okay well so he did finally do that then we found out that he now has several boxes around town and that whenever his bank account has a few thousand dollars in it he's taking that out as cash and putting it in the boxes i mean the amount is probably enormous and he's just got these safety deposit boxes all over the place, got all these safety deposit box keys, and every one of them has cash in there like your father-in-law is a drug dealer or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and been a drug dealer for a long time. I mean, and there's no convincing him that this is a bad idea. Um, I mean, I laughed at him. I said, people feed money into a bank. They don't feed money out of the bank. 
Right. Well, well, he's in his 90s. My mother-in-law is also in her 90s. At some point, we will come into possession of all of this cash. And I see no way of accounting for it. Wow. All right, so as far as your father-in-law's mental capabilities, is he exhibiting any signs of not being fully mentally capable, or is this just something where he doesn't trust what would happen with money if he put it into savings or something like that? He just, um, I think, you know, being raised through the Depression, um, doesn't trust banks, and just really likes cash. Okay, and then you have the issue, has he done a will? He does have a will and a trust. Okay. They have a will and a living trust. So My so if he's got a living there. trust, if he's got a living trust set up, he has a lawyer who he's employed at some point in the past or even in the present. Right. So, um, I would like for you to see, or your husband to see, if he can get your dad to go with him to sit down with the lawyer and talk about all this and see how to properly document that this cash was earned legally and properly so because you're you are very much identifying that there could come a time later where you could be looked at as being up to something no good right and so that's why the more the more recent obviously we have the bank records of him going and and taking out his retirement his pension funds and things Okay. But before that, I mean, that we suspect that he's been doing this, you know, for 30 years. And how much money do you think might be in total sitting in these various safe deposit boxes? Well, we don't know for, for certain, but a, his mother said they counted it when they first put it in the safe deposit box. The, the original one, that it was considerably over six figures. Oh, my goodness. All right. Yeah. I mean, it took a so, big box. So uh, this is this is all hands on deck here for your husband. He needs to get with the lawyer. And does your uh, father-in-law have an accountant? No. You need to hire an accountant. Have- you need to do that. And I, and I am concerned about... Um, about how this is all going to play out. And that's why this is not something to delay on or put off. You and your husband know this is uh, unusual behavior, and you don't want this unusual behavior to have a, a uh, a bad problem for you later. And that's why lawyering up and having an accountant, those two things in combination, are going to be very important to protect the heirs, your husband and whatever other heirs there are, you also at some point may have to do more intervention to protect your father-in-law and your mother-in-law. But right now, I guess, this is just a long-time depression pattern, but uh, from the Great Depression, not depression. But the whole idea of having these deposits all over the place and safe deposit boxes is very concerning to me. Marty is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Marty. 
Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Marty. You are taking over the family company. Yes. Is that congratulations or regrets to you? No, it, it's it's definitely a good uh, a good thing. But Great. There is a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. Well, how can I be of help to relieve some of that pressure? So we, over the last couple of years, we've been taking credit cards, and normally um, most of our orders go through purchase orders, which are paid with a check or direct deposit. And I just started getting into the credit card to see what we're paying. And it seems like we're paying a, a high amount a month for only receiving probably two to three credit card small orders a month. So I didn't know if there's a better option or a cost-effective option for us. Absolutely. Have you ever heard of something called Square? You may have actually done a transaction as a consumer where somebody accepted Square. Yes, but the thing is, we we never take credit cards. Like we're not the customer. We're never with them. We always take it over. We the just phone. pay a higher fee if cards not present. Oh, okay. But in your case, you would definitely want to move away from a traditional merchant relationship for processing cards and use Square Up or the website you go to is Square Up. Use them or one of their competitors to take those where you pay more per transaction, you'll pay 2.75%, but you're in a position where you don't have to worry about the minimum fees and the ongoing monthly fees would be a a superior way for you to do it. Okay, and then do you also, do you have to worry about, because I get telephone calls and I don't know if it's a scam or not, but for PCI compliance? Okay, so... That's one of the advantages of using a third party like Square. You don't have to worry about that. Okay. Somebody else is the merchant. You know, we did that with our e-commerce site where we use PayPal for that. And mm-hmm. PayPal offers a service where we clear through PayPal and they're taking on the the risk of making sure they're fully compliant instead of me having to do it. And it was much more cost efficient for me to do it. And you'll find for you going third party will be a far more effective way for you to do so and uh, it will eliminate expense the liability risk the hassle all of it if you just use a third party with that small a number of transactions each month this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance hey listeners whether you love true crime or comedies celebrity interviews news or even motivational speakers you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue right and guess what now you can call the shots on your auto insurance too enter the name your price tool from progressive the name your price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Rick is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Rick. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Certainly, Rick. So I had a, I got an email offer from SoFi about uh, refinancing my uh, student loans. I have 
Parent Plus student loans that are, I guess, U.S. government based, but are. Um, are they at, are they at six point eight percent? Well, that's the thing. I got. I think I got five different um, loans in the in the package, and they range from six point three to seven point nine percent. Okay. And so, uh, I just was curious, what's the criteria? How should I look at even considering? refinancing with something, you know, uh, another company when these are U.S. government backed. Right. All right. So when it's a student loan, uh, Stafford, you have to be very careful whenever you go from a federal loan to a private, because on a federal loan on the Staffords, you have a variety of rights in the event you become unemployed or your income goes down or whatever, or the type of work you do, you may have loan forgiveness. When it's a parent plus loan, most of those privileges aren't a factor. So if you can go from an interest rate that's probably averaging right around seven or so percent, if your credit score is really good and uh, you're amount of overall debt you're carrying is really good, you may be able to go into a fixed rate with SoFi at 4% or less. Right, okay. And so if you can see a lot of daylight between the rate you're paying right now and the SoFi rate, then it's like, absolutely, you want to do the refi because you'll save so much carry costs, so much interest. Right. But if SoFi decides that your ratios aren't good enough for them or your credit score is not good enough for them, then the interest rate they may charge you may even be higher than what you're paying right now. So the SoFi thing works beautifully if you've got immaculate credit and uh, overall debt picture that just fits their formula, Uh then it's like borrowing the money suddenly through the refi at half price. Okay. All right. Thanks for your advice. I really appreciate it. I wasn't sure because I, I thought with the, there might be some catch that maybe I shouldn't go to a, a private company, but if it doesn't apply mostly to Parent PLUS loans, then that's what I wasn't sure about. Yeah. So I think that uh, where, where I would tell a, a former student, you got to look at virtually a never rule on refining federal to private. In the case of a Parent PLUS, I think it makes sense if you can get a much lower rate. And Joel, I think we can sneak in one ask Clark here. Yeah, Clark, speaking of refinancing, Carol wrote in and would like to refinance her house. She says, is it safe to submit all my financial information online, giving the potential lenders direct access to my accounts? Uh, Well, is it safe? In the case of a lender, generally they're not trying to steal your information There's always an enhanced risk the more people that have access to your information, but it's worth the risk because of the potential to refinance into a lower rate. And always look at credit unions and mortgage bankers when you're looking at refining. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I appreciate you spending part of your day with us here on The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that if you need consumer advice, we're here to serve you off-air for free, nine hours a day. If you go to Clark.com and go down the home screen, you'll see a section, Consumer Help and Tools. Click on Consumer Action Center, 
and you can get that free off-the-air advice. 